Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am so grateful you've joined us on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I speak to amazing leaders who have tremendous insights, and hopefully along the way, they inspire you. And if you like this episode, I'm going to ask you again, please share this resource with others, rate, review, download, because when you do that and we reach so many other people, we are able to continue to bring you great programs. And as all of you know, I am here to help the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow navigate challenges with confidence. And as always, I am so honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Cheryl Lynn Mobley. Cheryl is the CEO and founder of Recalibrate, a firm dedicated to helping audacious business leaders take their organization to the next level. She's also a speaker and the author of the newly released leadership book crafted around her experience on a South African safari on horseback, face-to-face, a guide to leading more skillfully in times of great disruption and uncertainty. And she has an amazing backstory. I'm not going to share any more of it. It is better told by her. Cheryl, welcome to the Drop-In CEO podcast. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. So I am excited to have her on the show because I will tell you, I have a copy of her book. I have read her book. It is a beautiful book. It is a piece of art. And I can't wait for her to share her 11 leadership principles. She takes just such a beautiful story of her experience and convert it into leadership lessons for which I cannot wait for her to impart her insights upon you. And she is just an amazing and super cool person. So Cheryl, I would love for you to share a bit about yourself personally, your journey, as well as what came to you creating the company that you have and this piece of work. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's the, I'll start backwards with the book. I mean, I had no intention of writing this book. I thought that my first book would be about my B99 framework, which is really about whatever organization you run, how do you be in the top 1% without killing you and everybody else, right? We kind of lose that piece. (laughs) So that was what I thought would be my first book. And I actually, while I've been into horses for years, I had no clue there was a thing like a horse safari. Horses are prey animals. So I was like, excuse me, you you get on a horse by a hippo (laughs) and a lion? Really? Okay. And so I, a friend of mine, actually a former business partner invited me. And so because she had done the trip once before. So I went with her. And I'm like, I just want to have fun and return alive. This would be kind of like my high-level goals for the trip. And literally on the first ride, I'm like, oh, oh, there's so many things here that relate to running an organization. Because as someone who was just incredibly honored, this would be me, to have been asked to serve as a hospital president, was you know did that for five years. And our hospital consistently ranked in the top of all the national rankings against all the other hospitals in the U.S. And it's not because I'm amazing. It's because we had a fabulous team. And so I was thinking of all these things that we do every day that made us so unique and had people say, you make it look easy. How do you do it? (laughs) 
right? Which is why when I left the hospital setting, I started Recalibrate because I wanted to help leaders who like, we want to do what you do. We don't want to die doing it. We want to kind of like have fun because we spend a lot of our upright hours sort of at work. It's like, how can I help other people do that? And so when I was on vacation, which is all it was intended to be, I started, I'm like, well, I'll just do a few blog posts, you know, and all that good stuff. And then I'm like, no, no, it's got to be a full out book. (laughs) It just has to be. And so literally after we would ride twice a day and after every ride, I would like hustle feet back to, you know, where we were sleeping and write as many things as I could remember and kind of my ideas and principles and things. And so it was just an unbelievable experience. And because sometimes I don't know when to quit, which is a problem. Not only does the book have the stories of the encounters, so each chapter is divided into two parts. The first is, what's just the straight-up encounter written as engagingly as I can do, right? What was it like? And then the second part, I pull a leadership principle from that. And one of the things that makes the book different is the principles are not negative, And by that, I mean, a lot of people would say to me, oh, well, yeah, you could say you don't ever do this. That's not a good idea anymore. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So a lot of people, unfortunately, we've learned to kind of take the negative route or this is horrible or this is wrong. And I'm like, no, that's not what this is going to be about. Thank you for the input. But no, it's kind of my book. That's not the way I'm doing this. And so once I identified the principle that I wanted to pull forward, that again supported what we did to hit the ninth percentile performance consistently. This is where I was a little bit of a lunatic. I decided I wanted to talk to other leaders around the world who were rocking that principle so that they could share specific things, not like teamwork is important. And you're like, I'm like, I told everybody, I said, we don't want anything like that. Okay. I want to know specifically what you do to get the results you get, to have the environment you create, right? To make it feel like it feels. And so each chapter has multiple leaders from all over the map because I wanted everybody to be able to pull something today. Too many books are, oh, well, if you have a budget that's like 30 billion, you could do this. Well, that's not most of us, right? Or if you have a team of 5,000, you could do this. The beautiful thing is this is very accordion-like. No matter how big or small you are, you can learn, take, and apply. And so I'm also a photographer. So the images, the cover, everything in the book are my images that I took on the trip. I did not take any from horseback because A, I didn't want to die. And (laughs) B, I am very anal. So it's not like you can go, can you just, I I just need to get a little bit to the left. You can't do that because we had very regimented ways to be. And I just wanted to be in the moment, you know, and just really be able to kind of feel and grasp and, and take that on. And then the final thing I did (laughs) was I have a colleague who is just an incredibly gifted illustrator. So she and I work together to create custom illustrations that are scattered throughout the book. So it really is the physical one, which you have, is a coffee table book. You know, if you were to hold this up and hold up a typical leadership book today, they're not this, no pun intended, they're not the same animal, right? I mean, they're not intended to be. This is intended to kind of break the rules and bring forth my vision for what I wanted it to be, not what everybody said, well, that's not normal. I'm like, yes, cool, good, right? <laughs> so, oh, 
I just want to jump in here. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing your story. And as we're telling the story, and again, hopefully people can see or hear my smile <laughs> through their earbuds right now, because so much of what you do, what you say, how you've done, how you think is so similar. Again, I am recently was acquainted with Cheryl, but as I get to know her, it's like, oh boy, she is also so aligned with the drop-in CEO brand. I'm going to go to some of the last points first. Yes, you got to get her book. Look her up, look up her book, Face to Face, A Guide to leading more skillfully in times of great disruption. It is a beautiful book. And when I wrote my book, The CEO's Compass, Your Guide to Get Back on Track, it too, the front cover is a piece of artwork not meant to be on the shelf, obscured, but shown beautifully to realize a compass. A compass can be a beautiful piece of art. And it's that thing that helps guide you. And it's not meant to be tucked away, just like Mm -hmm. Cheryl's book. So kudos to you for disrupting and doing things on your own (laughs) terms. Terms. And what I do love is the fact that a lot of the book is quite practical because it's do it yourself. A lot of these principles, you most likely you can do yourself, but obviously you may want to reach out to Cheryl if you need a little bit extra support. But let's just go back in time a little bit. You just kind of glossed over it. You got to be the president of a hospital. I mean, was that your life's pursuit? How did that happen? Because there's a lot of people out there that says, oh, no, 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 I can't get into the C-suite. And again, you're just a regular kind of intelligent person. Tell us about getting into that role and what was it like? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I can say with absolute passion that I did everything humanly possible not to become a hospital resident. Oh so, <laughs> I mean, I, I raised it to an art form and you can see I was incredibly unsuccessful in that. So, I had had no interest in operations, no interest in sales, none at all. My dad was an incredibly gifted and passionate kind of marketer, rose to a, you know, EVP level in marketing. And I always thought, this is just horrible. You know, the constant deadlines, the constant pressure that's never good enough. And then, and I'm like, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. So I always had this innate yuck on anything to do with operations. It's just like, don't talk to me about it. I don't like, I, I no, I know. Thank you so much. No, I'll pass. And so I end up in healthcare. I end up doing quality and risk management. Um, and then I end up getting asked to do operations because I'm a doofus and because there were problems that needed solving that weren't getting solved. I just stepped in to solve them. And I kind of walked myself backwards right into the operations role. So this role was actually created for me in this hospital. So I had operations, I had risk management, I had quality and, you know, it was basically I'm a COO is what it amounts to. And then I end up getting other people that start reporting to me. And I knew that my president, who was amazing, still is, was looking to do something different. And so I was in, at the time, probably the first high potential program this organization had. And this organization is massive. I mean, we had like 23,000 employees, 15 plus hospitals. You know, they were shifting from a hospital-centric organization to a kind of a healthcare system. So tons and a big organization. And so, but this was kind of their first formal kind of a high potential program. So I was one of the people in it and I was paired with the COO of the entire organization. So all 23,000, give or take people. And I, I looked at it and he goes, what do you want? I go, I don't want to be president. Don't ask me, okay? <laughs> don't ask me. I don't want to do it. And because I, I was really passionate and still am about kind of prevention. It's like, how do we not get somewhere that really didn't need to go? And so, from a healthcare perspective, that was kind of my interest. But all the doors kept shutting. And he calls me and he goes, Cheryl, I'm like, you're going to do it, aren't you? You are just going to ask me. 
you know? <laughs> He's like, please, if you'll just do it for five years. We normally, I mean, I, we normally ask five, but if you'd at least do two, that would be great, please. Wow. And I'm like, okay. So we hammered out the details and it turned out to be such an amazing experience. And for me, there really wasn't pressure, which that's going to sound really bizarre because there are certainly goals there and they are given unto you. right? <laughs> and as is always the case, goals and KPIs somehow, somehow always seem to get more intense, right? They don't ever go backwards. And if you happen to rock your last one, then they really explode, right? You know, it's like, oh, cool, you blew past this one, do this. And so I really, like I said earlier, I really expected to feel kind of pressure and angst, and I didn't. And that was probably the biggest shock for me. I'm like, why don't I? You know, because <laughs> that's kind of odd, because I am one of these people that nothing less than stellar is satisfying. I have to, I have to battle my inner perfectionist all the time and go suck it up, honey, and just go, right? You know, you can't wait for perfection. And so I... <laughs> What I realized was for me, doing quality and risk management was all about keeping our patients, their families, our staff, our doctors safe and well. And for them to be as at ease as you can be when your life is upended, right? Because our patients were incredibly sick. And it's like, so once you have dollar amounts after that, you know, bottom lines, it's like, that doesn't really, I'm sorry, but it's keeping people safe. And I've been doing that for years. The dollars are like, eh. And what I would say to my boss is we will turn ourselves inside out to meet and exceed our goals. At the same time, we're never going to compromise on the experience, the feeling, what it's like to be here. So just understand that that's, that's my push. That's my goal. And I was able to get away with that because we always surpassed our goals, right? <laughs> you know, But so, it was a really big surprise to me. And the we were part of a system, so people would say it, it kind of got to one of those things where we would get recognized over and over and over and over again. And other people were like, who's that? What are they doing, right? And some there was some kind of crankiness about it. I'm like, well, maybe instead you should be figuring out what we do and how you can do it instead of complaining. That would just be a novel concept. And so <laughs> ultimately, I end up leaving after about five years knowing that you could pull me out and absent anything catastrophic, it would be just fine. Because we were running ourselves, right? It wasn't dependent on me at this point. And so, but other people want to get to this level and they're like, they're burning themselves out. They're burning their teams out. They're feeling pressure. They're feeling frustrated and they don't know how to do it. And so that's the whole reason for Recalibrate is if you want to do that and you'd like to still enjoy your life you know, and have the people that work with you enjoy their lives, let's talk, right? So that's that's a long answer, but that's really kind of how it all came to be. So I want to learn more about Recalibrate as well as, you know, the principles. I've picked out three principles that I want to go into a little bit more depth. But before I move on, I just want to hit well, one thing is you and I are in the same area. I am in quality and risk management. I'm doing a COO role right now. I just did a drop-in quality role. It's about making sure people go home at night safely mm -hmm. to their families, et cetera. So we've got a lot more in common than I realized. <laughs> but you just said like you were pulled basically into the C-suite. You had a boss and they're kind of like nurturing you a little bit. There are so many people out there that have come across my doorstep. I have met with them and they either mentally don't want that role because they say, I'm not ready. I don't want the pressure. And you've already said it's not the issue. But sometimes people feel barriers for getting in. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, and again, keeping this positive, what was it for you that either yourself or others 
helps you get into the C-suite because so many people see it as a barrier mm-hmm. and it's so challenging. It doesn't look like it was a challenge for you. What worked for you? You know, what I would say is no matter what my role was, I absolutely always did the best I could. Good work pays off. And I was very straightforward. I would just like I was, you know, I'm talking with you, I would talk to the CEO of the entire organization. And so they knew that I would say to them the same thing I would say to the physician, the same thing I would say to my team. And I was not high maintenance. There are some people that want to make it all about them. And for me, it was about the organization exists for one reason. We exist to take exceptional care of people that trust us, right? To be the best place to give and receive care, period. And when you approach it that way, it changes everything, right? It changes your own perspective and it changes the perspective of your team because we were very particular about who would come in. So we rarely had to have ask people to do a UE, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we were very particular. And when they did make it in, it's like, we work really hard for this to be an amazing place. You don't get to screw it up. Sorry, you just don't, right? We've worked too hard. And this is how we are. And so for me, I think really it was those two things. It was whatever I was doing, whether I was just quality or just risk management in a smaller hospital, I didn't go, oh, I'm just a little hospital. It doesn't matter, you know. And so that, I think too many people shoot themselves in the foot by thinking, well, they'll really show up when it's, you know, big. Well, you don't get to big unless you show up because you need to have within yourself that innate drive that says anything less than me rocking this role, whatever this role is, is unacceptable. I don't care if you're a waitress. Right. I've done that. Right. You know, I don't care if you're a hospital president or the president of a multi-billion dollar company. It makes a huge difference and it has to come from within. And too often, especially these days in this culture, we want to blame everybody else. We are so quick to look for and take offense where there is none intended and we want to blame everyone else. The net result of that, number one, is to be perfectly tactful. You create an environment that sucks. It sucks to be you right? Because you think that everybody else is out to get you. And so you can't win. And that colors everything. And then if people might have wanted to help you, you're so neat that they don't want to help you, right? But then that reinforces it, right? So I think for me, it's really having integrity within yourself to understand it's not about you. And I see too often these days, we make it all about us as an individual. I mean, even all the things that you read in quote unquote, respected media, any more often turn my stomach because they're they're putting the onus on a leader to basically run a kindergarten and apologize to everyone and try and really, if the person screams the loudest, they win. That's horrible, but that's what we're doing and that's what we're praising and that's the kind of the constant media stuff. So I would certainly say to anyone, when you see something that says it's your job as a leader to do this and to do that, it's like, My job as a leader is to do what we exist to do and to take care of the people that work with us so that they learn and grow. But it's not my job to help them self-actualize, right? It's not my job to make their life absolutely everything they want to be and fix all their problems and have there be absolutely nothing they don't like. I'm like, get over it. And so we've 
we have gone so far that direction that people are drowning. And it's the people that work with you and it's the leaders trying to constantly, you know, it's not even whack-a-mole anymore, right? (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's just insane what we have allowed to be done to ourselves. And so it's, but for me, I don't care. I've had fabulous bosses. I've had bosses that were just like, could you just like put me out of my misery because they're killing me. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's still my onus to show up. And do the absolute best I can do until and unless I decided I got to go, right? But we've lost that. And then we can't figure out why we don't get the chance to have a bigger shot. Well, because you didn't treat with honor and respect the shot you had. So I'm not going to think you're going to do any differently (laughs) if you get more responsibility. So that, again, sorry, long answer, but that's my experience, my take, what I see. Yeah, I think we are, you're co-writing or <laughs> remind melling in terms of like what I wrote in my book. My book was about, first of all, just getting in the mindset of the leader, realizing that what you did before may not serve you now, but also mm-hmm. deep thinking, do you want to be a leader? What does it take to lead maybe a little bit differently? And what I really love about what you said is that personal accountability for your own mindset and actions. Again, hard work pays off, that will get recognized, but you got to be kind of easy to work with or at least respected for how you show up up and also being very grounded in one's principles. It is the guidepost for making all your decisions. And as you said, our purpose is to be here to provide the best health care for the people that enter our doors. And you say that day in and day out, and people will recognize you for those principles and follow you because of that, because you're staying the long game and investing in what is most important. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on my products, The CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now back to the conversation. I want to really get into the book here. I don't know if we're going to have time to go into all the principles. There are 11 principles. Again, I'm going to repeat it. You need to get a copy of Cheryl's book face-to-face, but there are three topics in here. I don't know which one I want to go to first, but I want to hit this one. Becoming the disruptor, not the disrupted. Mm-hmm. It's uh, to me, it's about status quo. It's mm-hmm. having your own voice. But I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about that leadership principle: becoming the disruptor, not the disrupted. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things we have a not so much now as when I was working on the book, but we we tend to have this idea that we're going to get to kind of this homeostasis and we'll stay there. And so we tend to go, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of doing my thing. It's good. It's all good. And then all of a sudden you get kind of blindsided because you weren't paying attention because you think things aren't going to change or no one else outside of you is going to look. And so one of the things I certainly talk to people about 
is look outside your industry. When I first came to healthcare, and I was new to healthcare, I'm not a clinical leader, which for some people is a major, how is that possible? That's not okay. And I think there's there's incredible gifting that clinical leaders bring and non-clinical leaders bring. I think you need both because you both have different blind spots and different things that you that just leap at you. But healthcare, they've been forced to get a little bit better, but I don't think anyone does the not invented here better than healthcare. Right. You know, it's like, well, no, we've never done that before. Or even worse, we tried it once and it didn't work. You know, I mean, it was just so there were so many things. It was like, oh, well, no, well, we can't learn from anybody else. And to me, somebody, whether they're already in the C-suite or that's a goal, is look all around you. I don't care if you read gardening magazines, right? Look at things that you don't know anything about or things that you just intrigue you and go, what are the parallels here? You know, what did they do and kind of unravel it and tease it out? How could I learn from that? What what could that, hmm, if I, if I take it and tweak it or I pull one piece out of it, what could that look like? And so it's really that kind of a different curiosity, which is something I talk with people a lot. We've become very uncurious, you know, and it's yeah. that curiosity. It's like, hmm, I wonder what would happen if we did that, you know? Let's try. To compliment what you say, also write a bit about leaders have to have the courage to ask for help. And sometimes if they look for external resources that are from the same industry, you're going to get the same answers. And I've had the good fortune to work with some leaders that say, I want somebody outside my industry. And while not everything I've done based on my experience will copy paste into the new industry, Leaders that have that awareness, to your point about selecting what resonates, what's different, what's applicable, they will be the ones that become the disruptors, go from maybe a place of being in chaos to maybe leading in the forefront because they have taken the path of trying something different to have a better outcome than maybe the rest of the people in their industry. So, so appreciate that leadership lesson. But if I could go into another one, because this also may lead into it, you you also talk about be petrified of complacency. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a, maybe a little bit about the mindset of the person mm-hmm. to be open to be disruptive. Sure. Tell me about that, because again, there's a lot of leaders out there, they get stuck in their job, and then 20, 25 years have passed them, and then all of a sudden they say, uh, I can't do anything different, or I'm stuck, and I want to unstick them. <laughs> the first person that was shifted to me was someone that there were just issues with this person reporting to my former boss. Things just weren't, they weren't going well. This person started reporting to me and she was incredibly knowledgeable. And she said to me, she goes, well, I don't know what the problem is. I'm doing the same job, you know, that I've done for the last 20 years. And I stopped and I looked at her and go, did you hear that? And this was a while ago. So this wasn't in the last two days, right? So, but it was, you know, I mean, now you'd be like, excuse me, but I'm like, have things changed in the last 20 years? Well, yeah. Well, (laughs) kind of have to think a little bit differently. I'm not saying be reactive, but if the world has changed, doing the exact same thing isn't going to still get us where we need to be. And I had another person when I was doing strict (laughs) straight quality when I worked with everyone to ask them for their department, their function, what was the quality thing they wanted to work on? 
And so for your listeners that aren't familiar, just to oversimplify it, quality to me is really about how do you make things better? They're not necessarily things that are broken. They're just how do you make it better? Your risk management is how do you keep it from breaking and hurting anybody, right? I mean, again, over way oversimplified, but still. But I wanted everyone to have a couple of projects that they were working on to make things better that would really make a difference for our patients. And I was talking to this one woman and she says, well, I'd like to do this thing. And I said, awesome, that sounds great. What are you going to look at? What are you going to measure? And she goes, well, but it's too much work. And I'm like, well, okay. I said, aside from it being too much work, is there any other concerns you have about the viability of this? And she's like, no. I said, awesome, run with it, right? (laughs) I mean, so it's just, it's that mindset that either I can just keep doing what I've been doing because it's mindless, right? You're a gerbil on a wheel, you just keep doing until the wheel goes away or it's too much work to really look out there. And it's like either of those perspectives means you don't really get to stay here, <laughs> you know, because if you're going to stay here, you have to be going, what's what's the next thing? And to me, the complacency, you can be amazing. So this is where I define a little bit differently. To me, I don't care if you're amazing. There's always more. There's always better you can do. And that doesn't mean that you don't celebrate. It's that delicate dance of, we did something so cool. Let's celebrate it. Awesome. Okay, now how do we build on it? And too often we lose one or the other. We either don't set challenging goals or we don't celebrate. We just keep, you know, burning our people out because it's like more, 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 more. It's like, how do you find that dance of, yes, we do more because our people deserve it. And it goes back to what we've already talked about, that if your goal is to provide exceptional care and to be, as we said, the best place to give and receive care, then that makes all of your decisions. And I am basically a lazy person. So if I don't need to reinvent the wheel, I won't. So if that is my framework, then most decisions just make themselves. And it was great for our team because it would make the decision for them too. When they would come to me with an idea, I'm like, this is awesome. I love the way you're thinking. How is this going to impact our patients or their families or the staff? You know, and my first question was not how much is it going to cost? It's like, is it really going to make a difference? If it would, yes, let's figure it out. You know, because my job then becomes how do I remove the barriers for them? Absolutely. Um, But you want everyone to have that kind of internal drive, which goes back to the same thing we've already talked about. It's got to come from within you. I can't make you care. I'm, I'm way too, again, I'm way too lazy for that. I mean, you've got to come to the table with some things on your own and then we can play together and have fun. But I'm not going to try and create those things in you because I've lived long enough to know that's like a fool's errand, right? And it exhausts <laughs> me. And that's just not a good use of my energy, you know? And so it's it's complacency, even if things are amazing, not just when you're worried that something might be coming. And I think that's a different twist that most people don't talk about. So what I love what you said is you're, you said, <laughs> and I'm playing around with this, you're basically lazy. You like to do things simply. I will just tell my listeners the 11 points that you make, she has probably covered all 11 points, even though I had asked her about a couple chapters. And if you've loved her leadership lessons, again, I advocate for you to check out her work. But this is where I want to help my audience make a personal connection with you. When it comes to the work that you have done, you know, in your current company and and working with those leaders, I'd love to know maybe, and again, keep it anonymous or so, like, 
what was the persona of maybe a client or a company that came across your doorstep? Like, where were they at when they said, I think I need your help? <laughs> and, and what was your approach? And where did they wind up on the other side? Because I want somebody out there, and I, I have had somebody reap the benefits of being on this podcast and wind up connecting with somebody that made a difference in their life. I want my listeners to connect with you if you're out there. So tell me about a situation where you did help somebody. Where were they at? And where did you get them to? It's a great question. So one example that comes to mind was two business partners that had done amazing and not in healthcare. So I don't work with just healthcare because I, to me, the principles are agnostic. The B99 guiding questions framework is agnostic because I'm not going to come in and tell you, for example, where to put the oil well, right? Or how to write the code, because then you've got problems I can't help you with. It's like, but what's, (laughs) what's consistent throughout? And so these were two leaders who had built an organization from the ground up And the organization was larger by far than anything they had ever even worked in as an employee. And they had had some things go wrong. They had had some things go amazingly right. And they were like, we think we want to sell in about five years, but we know their their terminology was they needed to professionalize the company. There's like, there's Mm -hmm. a lot we don't know. And can you help us? And so I'm like, absolutely. You know, we can start looking at it. I said, because what I, we spent a day together to kick it off. And we just went through the things that were going on. And I'm like, okay, cool. This thing should have been dealt with five years ago. So that's our top priority. (laughs) (laughs) And if you have people that you know and trust that can help you with it, go do it. It's not about, you know, lining my pocket. It's about getting it done. If you don't, we can help you, but get it done. And so we really just kind of laid out what are the things you need to pay attention to right now, even if they terrify you? And what are the things you need to just let be for the moment? And too often people, and, and for these folks' case, they had tried to deal with something that was could have literally shuttered their company permanently. And because their experiences had not been good in the past, they were kind of afraid to tackle it. So they were doing what I called a mixture of ostrich and Russian roulette, right? It's like, it doesn't work well, right? You can't, you know, if you want to do something, you want a different result, we've got to be willing to deal with this. We will help you. We're not going to go live it up. We'll see you later. We're at the beach, you know, but you've got to be willing to deal with this. And so ultimately their goal was maybe in five years to be attractive within 16 months they already had money in hand. And one of them had had so much fun with the things they had already done and the things that we did together that they decided to stay on as a partner. So one of them exited, said, this has been enough fun for me. Thank you so much. And one who, you know, was a bit younger is like, no, this is cool. I love this, right? So for them, it was a matter of how do you prioritize? And we use that word a lot, but what I talk to people about is And again, I like to make it simple because we make it too complicated. What do you pay attention to and what do you ignore? Mm -hmm. You cannot pay attention to everything. And that's the danger right now of so much of the media stuff. It's like they keep piling on, you know, and you and as a leader, part of your job is to protect your people from that. Because I worked for a large system. I would have people from departments all over the place with fabulous ideas, the best heart in the world, wanting my nurses to do X. And then, but I would reach back out to him. I said, here's the problem. You and 40 other people want my nurses to do X. And if they do all of these great things that y'all are coming up with in a vacuum, they won't have time to take care of the patients. Mm-hmm. So not doing X. I'm sorry. Right. And so part of it is just the discipline as a leader for the organization as a whole and for your what you're asking your teams to do is what's a yes and what's a no. 
And if you have a framework that says, this is why we exist, then the no's just go, yeah, we don't even have to waste our energy. Because I tell people, you are a finite resource. You are. You may not like that, and I'm sorry if it offends you, but you are a finite resource. And when you choose to do one thing, you are choosing not to do something else. And most of us don't think about it that way. It's like, so when you're getting all this input that says, you must, you must, you must, you must, you must, you end up running around, you know, like a puppy chasing your tail and falling down and getting exhausted and getting up and doing it again, you know? And so it's just a really different kind of piece. So for them, it was really around, what do we pay attention to? What do we ignore? How do we push through the fear? Again, not all attributed to us because they were doing amazing things. They had like 70% growth in one year, in the year that we worked together. A lot of people, the consistent theme, and I will tell them, I said, my, I will pry your hands off the bar a lot, all right? And the bar is your control, whether it's control of your teams, whether it's control of everything in the organization, and you're going to grip it back again, and I'm going to pull your fingers off, and you're going to do it again, right? You know, this is just an ongoing thing. But it's the discipline of what do we pay attention to? What do we ignore? And what are we here to do? And so for them, it was, you know, it was a fabulous thing to see see their growth, see their passion, see their curiosity, because it was such a different industry than mine. I could, and you've talked about this in your work, I could bring forward things that they had never thought of, never been exposed to, because it was like, ooh. I said, you know, it's not going to work the same way, but perhaps, a, you know, a kernel here is something you could, ooh, we like that. And then I can learn from them. And take that somewhere else. Right? I'm like, that's really cool how y'all did that, right? So and it's that the beauty of just kind of cross pollinating with everybody. So they were just they were just fabulous to work with. Intense. It was an intense year, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was it's wonderful to see the growth, the passion, the interest, and know the ripple effect they're making, right? Because everybody that works with them and their families are impacted by the shifts in how they chose to show up and what they chose to focus on. But you had another point under your breath, and I do want to make sure I promote it, is pushing through the fear. Mm -hmm. Because I once was working with a personal trainer, and while we're working out and he's pushing me and I'm talking about work, you know, he flipped my mindset from the fear of failing to what if I actually happen to be successful. Mm -hmm. And when I flipped that mindset, I would say wherever I've been fearful, never done it before, tough audience, et cetera, I would or ask for a promotion, ask for money etc. I've actually found that about 80, per, 80 plus percent of the time I was actually successful. So I'm no longer fearful mm-hmm. of pushing through that. Most of it is in our mind or maybe mm-hmm. we're ill prepared. So mm-hmm. wanted to bring that point out and you and I could talk because you are so aligned with the drop in <laughs> CEO brand. And I am so grateful that I had the opportunity to bring your insights and your book face to face to my audience. But if I could share the floor with you one last moment so that you could share anything else that you'd like with my audience, because I want them to know you, trust you, and connect with your work. Well, thank you. I think really the the overarching thing is knowing what to pay attention to and knowing what to ignore. Yeah, because if you know that, because you know why you exist, and you exist for something beyond you, then that changes everything. It does, it's not magic fairy dust, right? I mean, everything doesn't just, oh, you know, there's not violin music playing in the background if you like violin music, you know? But it really shifts the work. Um, and too many people have accepted, well, I have to be burned out to be, you know, to have an, to meet the KPIs, to do whatever, to be, you know, you, you pick your thing. And that's just not true. The What we didn't get a chance to get into because we had so much fun talking 
is on my website, which is recalibrate.today, is this B99 Guiding Questions Framework. And just real quickly, what this is, is I reverse engineered what our hospital did to allow us to get the results that we got. And I'm an annoying two-year-old, so I think in questions, right? So this is framed as questions. And so each different puzzle piece has a series of questions that you as the leader ask, your teams ask, your individuals ask, your organization as a whole ask. That is all there, right? So anybody can go look at that, pull that down. They can, you know, sign up for a little bit of a deeper dive on it, but that is all there. Just go have fun with it up. The the hardcover book, the coffee table book is available on my website. I'm happy to autograph it for people if they like, but they're an ebook person. It's available on Amazon as well as an ebook. I'm biased because I just, I think the physical book is so amazing. And you just, I'm sorry, an ebook to me is, for this kind of book, for a coffee table book, it just loses something. Um, but it's certainly there and some people want both, right? So those are those are the ways to reach out to me. But I'm, I'd be honored to talk to anybody that's got questions, violent disagreements, curiosity, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, Cheryl at recalibrate.today, they're, they're more than welcome to reach out. So Cheryl, I am so grateful that you've dropped in on the podcast. Your insights are inspirational. I've come away with some thoughts and it is just so aligned to how I speak to the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow. And, and with that, again, grateful for your leadership, your work, and I do want to wish you much success and be well. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love what you're doing in the world, helping prepare people to come into the role and supporting those that are there. It's amazing and needed. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who will find it useful and inspiring. When you share this podcast, it allows me to continue to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate their challenges with confidence. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.